Ben, what do you do to maintain your mental health? Oh man, how much time do we have? I don't do the work-life separation thing. I do like the work-life integration thing where I try to like mm -hmm. work life into the middle of work. And so during the winter, I do a lot of like skiing and working. Sometimes it's just good to like get away from the computer for a bit. I'm still right. thinking about work, but I tend to like come back to it with like bigger ideas. Like more, I get out mm -hmm. of the like production cycle of like task, 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 and get into yeah. the like, oh, what is our real big problem? I don't know, working those things in and not being mad at myself for doing it, right? And I think giving yourself permission to treat it as a marathon, not a sprint, I think is really important. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, I got Richard White here. He's the CEO and founder at Fathom. This is a free app that attaches to Zoom. It records, transcribes, and highlights your calls. One of uh, 50 Zoom partners and one of a handful uh, that Zoom actually invested directly in. It's the number one top-rated solution for small business. Y'all actually got that last week. Is that right? Yeah, yeah we just recently? on G2. Yeah, we're now number one ahead of Gong and Chorus. Congratulations on Thank that. You. So before Fathom, uh, Richard founded User Voice, a tech platform that managed customer feedback and making strategic product decisions. User Voice was also notable for inventing the feedback tab seen on millions of websites today. When I heard that, I was like, I, I've seen that feedback tab. I know exactly what they're talking about. Yep. That's awesome. And Richard is passionate about designing intuitive productivity tools with amazing user experiences. Richard, welcome to Building Great Sales Teens. Appreciate you joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me on. Good deal. So where did this love for software solutions start? Have you known since you were in high school that you were destined for this or how did it come about? Yeah, I feel pretty fortunate in that I think I found computers and programming like in my teen, in my teens and was just kind of like, oh, this is the thing I'm going to do. Uh, I remember in high school, I had a website for PlayStation cheat codes that made like $400 a month in ad revenue. My parents nice. were very, very confused by this. They're like, what is happening? Why is he getting $400 checks every month? Uh, but yeah, uh, so I've always kind of known I like building websites first and then software products. Man, that's awesome. Uh, that, that sounds like the beginning of a really good movie, you know, the Chico <laughs> Hacks website. It's like the beginning when Zuckerberg did the uh, Hot or Not website or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is because I, I've had these ideas for software products and stuff like that, never been the integrator that's going to actually build them or anything, but, you know, and I've always kind of seen it as a very um, populated industry, right? And so in a sea of so software products, you know, much my like my business is a sea of solar companies, you know, there really isn't a big name out there or anything in 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 solar. How do you make sure that your product stands out? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly harder than it's ever been, right? I think, you know, I've been not doing software for 15 years or more. And it used to be, you know, a few companies launch every day. And now I feel like a few companies launch every hour, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, so I think, yeah, I think coming, figuring out like what is your product differentiation or brand differentiation or something is really important. Um, 
I think for Fathom, we also did something a little bit atypical. I think depending upon your vertical, a lot of people have this like release early and often type thing or like get it out there. Very, like very, like when it's like, if you know, if you're not embarrassed by your product at launch, you like launch too late kind of stuff. And I'm not so sure that that advice still holds true in a, in such a crowded space now where I feel like you get one chance to make a first impression with a bunch of folks, right? And that first impression is like, eh, this thing kind of works. Or it's kind of interesting. It, it It's, you know, you're kind of screwed after that, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand the word viable and minimally viable product. And you see like people think viable is like, it works, not like right. it's actually something people really want and get excited about. Um, and so I think one of the things we did with Fathom and obviously we did a bunch of research early on to figure out like, where do we fit into the landscape? I like interviewed a lot of users of our competitors and figure out like, where's their white space, where their needs not being met. Um, but then we kind of were very intentional about just like very slowly building in, in stealth and launching kind of mm -hmm. late. And so what we did launch, we felt very, like we had a very polished product at that point. Um, now, some of that is kind of what we're doing, right? We're sitting on your Zoom calls. You know, if you start using Fathom, you kind of come very quickly to depend on it. So it has to work really, really well. And you're using on Zoom calls. And, you know, when I get on a Zoom call, if something stops working, I don't try to fix it. It's just like, it's over, right? And so partly our product had to be really good out the gate because you just don't have a lot of affordance or something you bring into your meeting breaking on you. Um, so for us, I, I, so I think you got to find your point of differentiation. I think increasingly it needs to be the product is really exceptional or is such, it really understands the niche it's going after better than any other product in the market, right? So have you guys ever thought about doing, so I'm looking at the software right now that works with, you know, your Zoom calls, your uh, Google Meets, whatever the case is in the interview process. And what this uh, product actually does is it's through body language, tonality, ver uh, verbiage, it actually is able to create a disk profile for that candidate. And then of course you you measure that disc profile against the rest of your team and you see if they're a good fit for the team, as well as you know, in sales, your top performers have a certain disc profile that they they center around and you compare it to that. Have y'all looked at entertaining anything uh in those terms? Yeah, I mean, I think what's exciting about the space is we've kind of started with what we saw as like the biggest headache, right? Which is like sales reps trying to take notes while they're trying to talk to someone, right? And then trying to like share back to their manager, to their team, like here's this interesting bit and just trying to be like, uh, they kind of said this, right? And I actually ran our sales team at my last company for a, for a minute. And I constantly was asking people like, what did they actually say? Like, okay, yes, but what did they actually say? Reading my sales team's notes. So we started with the space of like, let's go after what we think is probably the, like the chunkiest problem people run into, which is like this note-taking problem. But what's fun is like, we're gathering all this data. So that on top of that, you can build out all this fun stuff, right? And so I'm excited about a future where, the system kind of like tells you more about what the other person's doing, right? Like, oh, you're screen sharing. The person's no longer paying attention, right? Like we can mm -hmm. tell that from like eye tracking that they're like reading something else or somewhere else, right? It's like every salesperson's worst nightmare is like, I've got my screen up and I'm showing you something and I don't notice that you don't care anymore, right? And so yeah. like, there's all sorts of things I'm really excited about here in the future where we can give people in real time the signals to be basically better sales folks. Okay. And I actually just started started the note taker here. I did not expect that to pop up like that. So I've never seen the demo or anything, how it works. So 
I'm going to, I'm going to stop recording. <laughs> yeah. You can go ahead and turn it off. It'll, it'll leave the meeting. Yeah. So it's just yeah. like a, a little thing to let folks know that you're recording. And obviously also that's like good growth for us as well. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, but no, I think it'd be so cool to be done with your sales presentation and maybe it's just the initial call, the initial meet, whatever the case is. And then you get a profile based on that consumer's tonality, uh, body language, basically how, how they want to be sold. So we do a training internally is uh, selling the way customers want to buy. Mm. And we, we train our salespeople to basically how, and we do door to door mainly. And so how they open the door, how they shake your hand, their tonality, the level at which their voice is all basically classify them into a selling profile and then, or I'm sorry, into a buying profile. And then you sell, you base how you sell on that buying profile. And it, yeah. it all has to be done very quickly. You know, and a lot of the guys never pick it up, but our yeah. best salespeople obviously pick it up. But I, I'm just imagining a world in which, you know, the, the software could do it for you. And then right away, it's like, hey, you need to sell this person like this. Yeah. And then yeah. they create shorter conversations and quicker closes, better conversions, yep. all that good stuff. You can also imagine a world where you can do, you can baseline people's tonality over time, right? Like some people are natural, you, know, you get the classic person prospect that comes in and they sound super positive, but they don't buy, Right. Uh, right. Or they they sound super neutral and then they do buy, but then track them over. Like maybe once they close, we notice that, oh gosh, they're not nearly as excited on these calls now, you know, six months post-close, like when we're doing QBRs as they were when they were in the sales process. Oh, that's a red flag, mm -hmm. right? Like we're not maintaining that enthusiasm. So yeah, I think right. there's a lot of stuff around that. What's interesting, it's kind of a, a new frontier because there's not a lot of good data sets to train on tonality out there. Um, yeah. I, it's funny when we first started the company, one of the only public data sets on this where they like they have audio and it's labeled with like emotions is based upon the TV sitcom Friends. And so you can okay. imagine like if you take that and apply it to business meetings, it doesn't work whatsoever. So yeah. I think everyone's in kind of this arms race to like build out a big data set of, you know, these things and then go use it to train things to figure out tonality. Because uh, I think that's, you know, you can do sentiment analysis on text. But the tone, I think, is so much more important than, lost. Than, than just doing sentiment analysis on text. So that's interesting because I actually heard a uh, metric last week. Uh, Chris Bell was on the podcast. He's got the Connect and Sell software, and uh, he's, a, he's a founder for that. Or he just became the CEO a couple of years ago for that. And what he talked about was that, you know, because my question was, can technology replace salespeople? And so one of the things he talked about was the amount of information in a character on a text is like seven to 10 bytes, right? But the amount of information in seven seconds of you talking is like 15,000 bytes, right? And the FBI did a study on what it takes for someone to trust you, and they need a minimum of 15,000 bytes of information. That's why in the first seven seconds of meeting someone, they decide whether or not they trust you. Interesting. But if all you're using is technology, then it's going to take so many texts, so many emails, you know, probably hundreds of those in order to create that trust. Yep. But at the same time, I was thinking like, well, there's AI, right? And I mean, your phone can speak to you. So who's to say that someday there won't be AI salespeople that are perfect at reading tonality and body language and all that type of stuff. So kind of full circle there. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see a world where 
you know, you've got like face tuning and stuff, right. On like, you know, various social apps, you could see a world where like people are doing face tuning on zoom. Next thing you know, people are just like full on emojis getting on calls. Right. And then it's like, people are, you know, <laughs> sitting, you know, next thing you know, it's like, you're only there for half the call. The other half the call is on autopilot sort of thing. Like, right. it's like a very black mirror kind of esque. but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. you know, I still think your, your instincts are right here. We're a long way from that kind of stuff. Well, I think right. what's closer at hand is, a lot of like AI assistance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of what we focused on is like, how do we, what, how do we help the reps and the humans do what they do best, which is like connect with other people, right? Like in, okay. you know, ways that you can't really do over email, over text. And let's take all the other stuff they have to do and take it away, right? Like let's, you don't have to fill in your CRM. You don't have to take the notes. You don't have to like monitor yourself and let's just make it so like you feel as comfortable on this call as possible because we're giving you basically like an Iron Man suit when you get on the call. Man, that really gets me excited because, you know, when I look at, when I look at uh, building my business in my twenties, my biggest issue was being present. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the issue with being present was because I had this device next to me that told me, Hey, you have work. Hey, you have a problem. Hey, there's a new fire to put out. And then I have my daughter in front of me who was like, Hey, I just want you to spend time with me and be present. Right. Yep. And so um, that concept that you're talking about and you know, you're completely right to truly be present during the Zoom call and you don't see their eyes going over here to an email and their eyes going over here to a text, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And uh, because the AI is assisting or because, you know, y'all software is taking the notes during that call and you don't have to look over here to take your notes. Yeah. Like even now, even now I have my notes for this podcast over here to the left. So I know every now and then my eyes are going to wander over here just to check what the next question is or whatever the case is. Yeah. But if I could have and the, it the flip in, side of being Zoom. The other flip side of being present, right, is that like I see the inverse too, where it's like well, Fathom also is just like a nice backup resource. Like, oh, you missed that thing. That's fine. Right. You can go back and watch it after the call. It'll be there instantly. And we see like, I don't know what your experience was, but my experience always on Zoom was also like very gripped and like anxious because I'm like, I get one shot at this. I'm not going to get them on the line. If I miss some like important thing, you know, it's yeah. very stressful. And so it makes these calls so much more exhausting than they need to be because you're just really on trying to make sure you're hanging on every moment as opposed to a little more relaxed and just being like, great, I can just talk to this human. If I miss something, I can just, you know, I can, I know I've got something backstopping me. I can grab it later. And so I see that right. both those things, I think, lead to folks having much more relaxed, much more casual conversations. And, you know, we're at our best when we're relaxed and we're not anxious and speed talking mm -hmm. and talking over the prospect and trying to jam everything into a 30 minute segment, right? Absolutely. And, and again, another idea for, you know, cause I, I do have people that have their own podcasts that listen to this. I mean, you just create the transcript right there, you know, for your VAs to be able to go in and create content based on the transcript versus them having to go through and watch the whole thing, you know, and yeah. that takes up an hour of their day. So we, we see that a lot. Too. I mean, I think the big, the, you know, having the entire call recording is a really nice resource to the person that was on the call and transcript is a good way to search through it. But anyone who's not on the call doesn't want to watch your entire call, right? And we actually found that people only tag about 10 to 15% of a call as like noteworthy, meaning someone else should check this part out, um, right. which makes sense. Like none of us want to go watch all of our reps calls, right? Like because 85% of it's kind of the same old, same old, right? And so mm -hmm. coming up with a system where we can be like, oh no, if you audit, you know, this two minutes from this 30 minute call, you've got the important stuff to like move on to the next one and you feel confident, you know, what's happening on the front lines or here's the content to share out and here's the good stuff. And so many training videos can be done that way too. You know, if they're recorded on zoom and 100%. you utilize fathom, 
then you can see at which points is the uh, vital information that they need for a new rep or whatever the case is. So, you know, cause we do a lot of training videos. We bring in experts to do uh, company-wide zoom calls with us. And then we save that video as a training piece, you know, and like our freedom training. So we'll have an expert come in and do a training on meditation for our sales reps, you know, to center okay. themselves before they go out to the field. And then they could do like maybe just the step-by-step process. Uh, we have a note in that section and they could just watch that section versus the whole video and it takes 30 minutes of their day. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing a lot of where it's now it's like, as we start working with teams, not just individuals, it's how do I put together a playlist of like, here's what good sounds like, or here's training or whatever. So people don't have to go back and rewatch the whole thing. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, we're talking a lot about sales teams and uh, converting sales over Zoom. Your product is free. So yeah. how does your sales team, do you have a sales team? And then more importantly, how do y'all get, how do y'all get paid in this? Yeah, we, we have kind of a very hybrid kind of like CS sales team, right? And I, I like to call it almost more of a CS team because, you know, what we're doing is make sure people are successful with the product individually and they like it mm-hmm. to use it on their calls and they get to really love it. And then it becomes a very easy sale to be like, wouldn't you like your entire team to have this? And then we have a kind of a, we have some add-on features for basically people that are managing teams that they would want, right? So first and foremost, Fathom is for kind of the rep. It's for the person on the front lines, making them more productive, having the conversations that, you know, we were just talking about. But then there's tools for the manager. It's like, let's make sure all these things get logged in the CRM, get synced in the CRM. I can have visibility across all my team's calls. I can jump into those right moments. I can pull out the right moments, right? You know, the manager, we don't have enough time to listen to every, all of our reps calls. So give me a system where I can easily audit the right moments to know that my team's doing okay. And I'm aware of any changes in the market that my team is hearing. And so that's how we do it. We basically give away the product for free to to individuals. And then we see generally it's spread within an organization, right? It goes from like one rep to another rep or, you know, one team to another team, product team to sales team to CS team. And then we are kind of our kind of hybrid CS sales team is then reaching out to those team leads and be like, Hey, you know, Tim on your team is using this. Seems like he's really loving it. You know, I've talked to you about our team edition. You can roll it out to your entire team, the productivity gains, and you also get these features that would be help you train the team and audit the team and make sure you're coaching them up correctly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, being in solar, you know, we mainly focus on door to door. We do some um, lead gen to in home type deals, but uh, there's a lot in our industry that do virtual, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I always, I, you know, I always struggled with, okay, how do I manage a team virtually? You know, <laughs> like because, you know, in-person management is so much more effective, right? But this yep. is one of the ways you can kind of close that gap. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, basically we are, you know, we're trying to recreate kind of the, the positive impacts of having the sales floor where you get this like an ambient awareness of like what your team is saying, what's going on in the calls without having to be in the same room because it's obviously harder than it was. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So not, not being from software or really in software at all, what is a Y Combinator? And why did you go through one twice? It sounds like it's something for a startup and not necessarily a seasoned founder. Yeah, it's so it's basically an incubator program-esque, right? I think they still don't like being called an incubator, but it's more of like an accelerator program. Um, You know, and historically, I would say what they were really good at was you have people that knew how to build products or had an idea, right? Had like a good idea and, but didn't know all the other basically uh, disciplines that are required to get a startup off the ground. Uh, probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones being like fundraising, right? I consider fundraising this like mini game. You have to play between levels 
on the like startup yeah. video game, right? But it's like a completely different video game. So some people can be really good at playing the main video game and building great products or selling the products. But this like weird mini game comes up that like you have to like play and how do you play it well? And so I feel like in some ways it started off by really teaching folks, generally folks who are earlier in their career that didn't have kind of some sort of like ambient awareness how to play the game. Like here's how to play this game. Here's how to do it well. Uh, and this kind of grown over time. And so it provides like mentorship and, and, and then content to like teach people all the other disciplines and then still, you know, this. And so, yeah, I think for me, a lot of folks would go through it because they're like, hey, I'm an engineer or I'm a salesperson. I want to learn about the other disciplines uh, and, and, you know, learn about this fundraising. I went through it the second time less about uh, learning, like about the disciplines, uh, but more that it still is a great kind of uh, accreditation, if you will. Right. And I'm all, okay. I'm obsessed with like speed. How do we do things as fast as possible? And part of that is like, let's just go, let's, let's speed run all the mini games. Let's do fundraising really quickly. Let's do hiring really quick. Let's do all these things. And this kind of is like a accreditation piece that helps you do that more quickly. The second thing though, is like, it's really valuable to have peers that are also doing startups. I think it's really tough to do a startup when you don't know anyone else doing a startup. You don't have anyone to kind of like, you know, at a base level, just kind of like commiserate on what's working, what's not mm -hmm. it's challenging, but also a lot of the tactics that work for startups change very quickly. And by the time you're reading a book about like a go-to-market tactic, I feel like it's probably not as effective over. as it was, <laughs> right? It's over, right? And yeah. so by talking to other people that are kind of in the arena at the same time, I feel like you get a lot of good tips of like, oh, I heard someone over here is trying this thing. Let me try it too. And you get kind of this like friendly competition that I think a lot of us thrive on. Um, so I, you know, I think even for someone who's ex pretty experienced like myself, it's been a fantastic experience. That makes a lot of sense because, uh, I'm part of a, a mastermind group and it's one of the biggest, uh, biggest in the country and it's based in Dallas. So it's just, you know, four and a half hours North of me, I'm in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, with that group, it's exactly what you said. It's a bunch of other entrepreneurs, roughly, you know, 2000 other entrepreneurs, but there's different levels to it too. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the executive level, you're dealing with, you know, tax shelters and multiple businesses, investments, you know, and then in the entry level, it's high level salespeople, you know, yep. and then entrepreneurs in between. Uh, but it is, you can create, you have all these plug and plays, you know, whether it's taxes, marketing, lead gen, CRMs, and they're all within your group, you know yep. what I'm saying? And there are, uh, Facebook groups for each of them. And they're talking about, you know, what challenges they have or what, you know, wins that they have. And it's all related to your business because you're an entrepreneur at the end of the day. Right. Yep. And so um, you get to kind of cut your teeth with them and see, you know, if they've done this before. And like you said, it, it accelerates your progress. So that's, that's huge for that. Yeah. There's just still so much warning that just happens, you know, kind of tribally, like from other folks, right? Like it's, like I said, by the time by the time it's out there in a blog post or in a book, like it's too diluted, right? To be mm -hmm. super useful in a lot of these cases, especially for go-to-market stuff where it's like more zero sum, right? Maybe for like product stuff, it's not like it's less like that. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it, so yeah, any of those groups, I think that sounds like a fantastic group, kind of a similar situation, right? Learning from your peers and kind of going through it together. That's a good point because I'm actually uh writing my book right now, building great sales teams, and it it's so hard to like not use tools and softwares and like things that that make sense right now if they read it today, but in a year may not make any sense at all, you know? Right. And then yep. to, to use more like mindset concepts and, you know, workflow, sales process, you know, that type of stuff 
versus those little tools you gotta kind of leave them out because they don't they're probably not gonna apply anymore they're just gonna confuse the reader you know right yeah that's a good point so um you know on this on this show we get into building great sales teams right um but it's not you know by any means a requirement but i do want to ask because you know most of the uh, type of people that I have on here are around like sales organizations, solar, roofing, home services, right? Mm-hmm. So you being in 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 software, I want to see if these things kind of are applicable across the board. And when we look at leadership, what are some of the best practices you have as a leader? Um, I think in terms of in terms of building sales teams, I mean, I think it's interesting because my background, like I said, it's not originally sales; it's actually engineering. And so it's right. I just mean a leader in general, you know. Oh, oh a leader in general. It, oh, that's. Yeah, I mean, I it think applies. The, the, the most important thing that I always think about is providing context to my team, all okay. the teams, right? So it's like uh, there's the like lead with why, right? Like I think a lot of folks lead with the like, here's what you need to do, right? And tell every team, hey, you need this, you need this, you need that. Yeah, that gets you some outcomes. We get way better outcomes whenever under, everyone understands the shared context of like where we are as a as a company and why you have these four tasks or like, and even better is don't even start with the task, start with the why, let them come up with some of the tasks, you collaborate with them on it, right? Then it's like, oh, these are my ideas, not projects that were foisted upon me. And so I'm kind of obsessed with the like, how do we provide context? And it's like a really difficult thing because as a leader, you have like, like some level of omnipotence, right? Like you have a lot of context. And so it's easy for you to forget that your team doesn't right and if you don't constantly water that plant they will just have no idea right and they don't hear everything and so you've got to like you know over and over and over be like ah here's what we learned here's why we're doing this here's why we're doing that right and so i think that to me is the biggest my biggest leadership goal is just make sure everyone on the team has as close to my level of context as as possible yeah that that makes a lot of sense i've I practice that so much that sometimes I realize, oh crap, maybe I overshared. <laughs> Have you ever had a situation in yeah. which you do that? <laughs> yeah. Or I'm like, I can't tell my like, are they like, yeah, yeah, Rich, we get it. You've, t- you've mentioned this like 10 times in the last week, right? It's like, kind of like, am I, am I annoyingly like beating the horse? Like I can't, sometimes it's hard to tell, you know, and you get, some people that have been paying close attention and they're kind of like over, I've heard it 10 times. And some people are like, Oh, it's the first time I've heard about this. Right. And so it's tough because you're doing a broadcast type thing and you've got mm-hmm. people listening at, at, you know, different levels of, of attention. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things you talked about a lot was uh, fundraising. You're mm-hmm. about to go through that again. Do you have kind of like a formula for that or a, a process, you know, not necessarily a script, but a structure you use, you know, are you getting in front of, you know, let's just say a board or something like that, and you're pitching them on your product, basically to, to, to fundraise, what's kind of the structure you use for that? I think it could apply in a lot of home service businesses when they're, you know, some of them are, are uh, up for, uh, I forgot what it's called, when the, you know, maybe like a publicly traded company, company buys them mm-hmm. to acquire market share. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a term for it and it's, okay, roll it's up. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they have to pitch their company basically. So what would be a good structure for that? Would you say? I mean, I, it's, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think the software fundraising space is so, I think it's pretty unique. I'm not sure. Right. I've never raised money for anything else. Uh, yeah. but it seems objectively like the, the rules are very different than anyone else. Right. You know, you see companies raise a ton of money with kind of like a, the right person or the right idea. And you get to the other ones that have lots of you know, revenue and they don't seem to raise that much and whatnot. So 
you know, for, for us, you know, I think there's a couple different paths you take. At least I'll speak to the software stuff and if you can take yeah. the applause, um, you know, at the like seed level or before you have like significant traction and or revenue, you're kind of pitching on the, like the team, the idea and like what you've built so far, uh, kind of, you have some traction, but maybe not a ton. And I generally see there's two paths. There's the, like, I go pitch 20 VCs and hopefully get term sheets from two of them or three of them. And like one, I like get a million dollars from one of them. Uh, and we did something different where we went and said, like, we actually will do that at some point for like a later stage, but we want to go just sign up as many users, uh, sorry, as, as, as many investors as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of this theory, like at the beginning stages, I want to build like a big coalition of people with like diverse backgrounds and, and connections. And so we actually were like raising money instead of having like one kind of discrete fundraising, we were almost raising money every six months. Um, and we were raising a bunch of little checks. Uh, and allowed right. us to be very nimble in terms of like, you know, early in our, in, in our life cycle, we knew Zoom was going to be important. And so we went and, and, you know, got in front of everyone who had some relationship to Zoom and pitched them and tried to get them involved in our fundraising round. Uh, and more recently, sense. we've known that, you know, sales teams and salespeople are obviously like a really good market for us. And so mm-hmm. we've gotten in front of a bunch of sales executives, right. And people that run SaaS companies that sell to sales executives and like, so with that. So it's been kind of fun. I think we have something like 90 investors, right? They're like, we've raised like almost 6 million, but we've done it on an average check size of like 60K. Uh, wow. Kind of crazy. Uh, and right now we're actually just launched like a WeFunder. So we're actually raising money from our own users, uh, which is another thing we've seen. We're kind of fortunate that like our product can be used by investors. And so we see like a lot of investors are users first and then they invest. Uh, and now we're even expanding that. Like, how do we get users to invest? And so I think the interesting thing about fundraising, at least at the early stages, once you get to like a series A, it gets more, you know, there's not many, as many options. Like you just got to go to the VC. But the early stages now, there's a lot of different ways to do fundraising. There's crowdfunding, there's safe notes, angel funding, there's the traditional VCs. And so there's a lot of different ways to play that mini game, if you will. Uh, we're doing something a little bit atypical, but I think it's worked out pretty well so far. No, and I like it. And mainly because you've got 60 investors, you don't really have one that kind of gets to call a shot, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense in that sense. And I think, um, you know, if, I think the first company I did, we, we did the opposite, right? We got one investor that was like, you know, and they, he had, I think he did Heroku and Instagram and like, that was like his big wins. And so it had one person that was like really mentoring me this time around. I more just want like, I, I want this coalition advice, as you pointed out, right. As opposed to like one voice in the room. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then the voice is your users too. So you get the feedback, yep. feedback tied to the money as well. So, you know, you work in a, a software industry, which I imagine is high pressure. You know, you are, you do have 60 people looking to you to do right by them, be good steward of their money. Right. How do you say you align your align uh, with that in your personal life? And what do you do to maintain your mental health? Oh man, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think it's incredibly important because you know, in twelve years in direct sales, that's yep. that's usually what caves a leader, right? Yep. The the weakness, the Achilles heel of a leader, is their mental health goes by the wayside, and they just focus on production and numbers, and they yep. don't focus on their their own, whether it be their body or their their mental health. So yep. I think it's important to talk about it. I mean, I, honestly, I think one of the biggest things for me is is just getting really efficient with my time so that I can kind of like, you know, work, the classic like work smart, not 
hard. Though mm-hmm. I'd say you probably actually need to do both, right? I think early in my career, my first company, I was like doing the classic burnout thing. You know, I'd fall asleep with my laptop. I don't be working in bed, like writing code, fall asleep, wake up, keep going, right? And that has a, a pretty short shelf life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's you know, doing a lot just to kind of give yourself, yeah. One, I like, I actually started skiing in the last couple of years and I work remotely now. Oh, nice. So like working remotely is cut out a lot of the like, commuting time makes me a lot more efficient. I don't do the work-life separation thing. I do like the work-life integration thing where I try to like mm-hmm. work life into the middle of work. And so during the winter, I do a lot of like skiing and working. Uh, I think I did like 30, 35 days of skiing last year. Um, and what's nice is like, it's, you know, and road tripping and stuff like that. Sometimes it's just good to like get away from the computer for a bit. I'm still right. thinking about work, but I tend to like come back to it with like bigger ideas like more, i get out of mm-hmm. the like production cycle of like task 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 and get into yeah. the like oh what is our real big problem what what's yeah. the big problem i haven't been thinking about right um and there's something about just like changing my frame of reference and just doing something like skiing and i'm like doing email on the lift let's be clear right like i'm slacking on yeah. the lift and like <laughs> you know keeping contact but but then when i'm going to them like i'm completely disconnected right and so it's it's I don't know, working those things in and not being mad at myself for doing it, but giving myself permission to do that, right? I think a couple of years ago, I would have not given myself permission to be like, oh, you're starting an early stage company and you're going skiing, you're going to fail, right? And be like really hard on yourself. Like, no, no, you you have to work yeah. or be sleeping and that's it, right? And I think giving yourself permission to treat it as a marathon, not a sprint, I think is really important. Yeah, I think too many entrepreneurs get their business management concepts from social media, which is nuts. <laughs> You know, you see the guy in the Ferrari getting out of the Ferrari and it's like, you know, I work 18 hours days and you only work eight, you know, it's like, <laughs> stop. I <it>. think, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's, that's a really good point. I remember, I remember working at a startup many years ago and this other person's startup and this person wanted to be very famous, very successful, but you know, we come in at like 10 AM and you know, right around 7 PM, everyone wanted to leave and then pizza would show up and you kind of be guilted into staying and they try to keep you there at like 11 PM. But what I observed in this, I've seen this bunch of other companies, like everyone kind of actually works six hours a day, it's just whether they split it up with a bunch of ping pong games and pizza and whatnot, right? Like, I don't know. I, I think some people can maybe work more than that, but like I have like six good hours a day. And it's funny, if you actually get solid focus time, it's like, oh my gosh, you get a lot, right? You can get yeah. a lot of output out of that. And you all of a sudden like break this myth of like hours in the seat is what matters, right? I like, uh, you know, I sometimes in two hours are more productive than I am in 10. And so I'm kind of like now like, cool. If I'm at all tired, I'm taking a nap. If I'm not feeling it, I'm not doing it, right? Like just like give myself permission to like not force myself to slog through and really just focus on thinking of myself as like an athlete and be like, I'm only going to compete when I'm at like peak performance here and like do everything right. else to make sure I'm mentally and physically at peak performance to do work. It makes a lot of sense. It, and it can get tough because I've been on the other side of it where, all right, I use it as an excuse not to work, right? <laughs> so sure. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta grind create on things, that, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You gotta create that balance in there and in, in there somehow. One of the things that I discovered about a year and a half ago was time blocking, which has mm-hmm. been huge for me. Basically, mm-hmm. it creates a little dopamine hit of okay, I blocked out this hour for this thing, I accomplished this thing, and now I can move on to the next thing, you know. Yep. And it's it's very much what you're talking about to where you're focused, you know, for three hours in the morning three hours in the afternoon. And then the rest of the time you allow yourself to not be working necessarily 
you know, maybe checking email and messages and stuff like that, but you, you completed your time block. So you're in good shape for the day and a lot more productive if you're at work all day for 10 hours distracted. Right. Yep. And I like doing that. I like theming it by day. So I'm bad at like doing like three hours of like meetings and three hours of like heads down work. And so I kind of right. do like, if you, if I send you my calendar, you can only book Monday, Wednesdays or Fridays and Tuesdays mm -hmm. and Thursdays are my project days. It's like, that's, and it's just really nice. Just to like, great. We're going to get all the distraction stuff out Monday, Wednesday for like all the meetings, everything's going to happen then. And then in between, I've got these days where they're white space and I can use it for whatever. And so, I mean, I think the bigger thing is like, I do stuff like that and every six months reevaluate what's the new structure that like take an audit of like, where am I spending my time and okay, how do I now need to remake my week based on what my new set of priorities are, right? So um, I'm sure at some point here very soon, I won't be doing as much project work and I'll have to rethink, you know, at my last company, I had like a, okay, I focus Monday on product and Tuesday on sales and Wednesday on, you know, marketing and like, you know, almost have thematic days where I work with those team leads. And so I think it's, one of these things like any of the systems work, it's almost like someone asked me on a podcast, like, what book would you recommend everyone read? I'm like, honestly, it doesn't matter what book you read. It just matters that you read a book, right? Like that you right. do the, it's like yeah. the intention. It's like, it doesn't really matter what your productivity process is. It's important that you have a productivity process, right? Yeah. If you just have one, you're probably in the upper quartile of people. Most people just talk about having one, never have one, or they get exactly. obsessed about picking the right one. Just pick any of them. Picking any of them puts you well ahead of the pack, right? Yeah, I, I once heard these two people uh, arguing about what diet plan was the best. And I'm like, you have a diet plan. <laughs> You're in good shape. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like 90% of Americans don't have a diet plan. So exactly. Yeah. You're good to go. Okay. So we'll go a little deeper on this one. Um, so uh, one of the things that I'm, you know, very interested in and started researching about a, a year ago when the podcast started was legacy you know, what, it, what legacy means to people and then what legacy they think they're going to leave behind. Right. And then I even started speaking on stages on building an intentional legacy and kind of the, I'm a integrator by nature. So I'm very tactical, you know, mm -hmm. people talk about legacy all the time, creating this amazing legacy. Okay. But what are the steps that you mm -hmm. need in order to get there? And then, all right, our values, legacy, or your passion, legacy, our material things, part of your legacy. So, um, the last question I typically ask in the podcast is what does legacy mean to you and what legacy are you going to leave behind? It's, it's interesting because uh, I thought a lot about this as like, what, it was actually one of the core values of my last company user voice um, at one phase. And, and I remember this because I remember talking to a bunch of angel investors and these were people that were like independently wealthy. They had enough money to be just, you know, writing a 25K check over lunch without even thinking about it, right? I consider that pretty wealthy. And, but I noticed something about that, that like a lot of times I'd be like, oh, I don't, not familiar with you or like what your history, like how did you get to this position, right? And they tell me the story of this product they built 10 years ago and, you know, got bought and they got a bunch of money and then the company bought it, basically drove it into the ground. You've never heard of it again, sort of thing. And so, you know, they put 10 years into this thing and they've got this nice like bank balance and they can write these checks, but increasingly no, like, no one knows what they did or how that happened. Right. And I noticed there was like a, a certain amount of like, I get like almost like sadness or something. And I think there's like a thing a lot of people, especially if they're like entrepreneurs or builders, we're proud of the things we built and we want those things to like have staying power. And we want people to like, you know, I am a last company and this company too. I get far more excited about someone saying like, Oh, I use your product. That thing's amazing. than looking at how much revenue we've got this month, certainly look at right. how much revenue is fine. 
but I love the like feeling I have made impact on someone like, ah, you know, I got to take a vacation because you saved me two hours a day with this last product sort of thing. Uh, And, you know, you just kind of illustrate here at the beginning of the the podcast. We're like, oh, I remember those feedback tabs. That's really cool. And so to me, the legacy thing is like not focusing on just like the output most people focus on, which is like the bank balance, but like, did I make something that felt like it mattered to someone? Right. Mm-hmm. And whatever that, or that's, that's at least my personal lens on it. Like, I love building things. I love building like productivity things. I'm kind of a OCD productivity person. So I get really excited about just hearing that people are like, oh my gosh, this saved me much of time. And like, if it says like, here lies rich, he made like good products that gave people more time to spend with their kids. He, he I made very the feedback tab. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because the same company I was mentioning that, that, uh, that was like the pizza, they try to kind of like keep us at work with pizza at seven or eight o'clock was also this like gaming, gaming company where like, I always joke that like, if we did our jobs right, we were maximally getting 13 year olds to give us their parents money, right? It was like this weird kind of like social gaming thing back in the Zynga days. And like, I stopped working there very quickly because I was like, this just doesn't fill up my soul. I'm not excited about like, ah, we're going to get really good at getting 13 year olds to, to put money into this into this jukebox, if you will. Someone might get excited. That might be someone else's jam and I don't want to, you know, crap on it. But like, for me, that was not my jam. Like I want to build products that felt like they had some staying power, some legacy, and was not just a cheap way to go put some more zeros in the bank account. I love that. And it's, it's, it's right in line with what some of the best answers have been. And they're more about impact than the actual numbers. Right. Yeah. Um, it you know, feels I, great I'm, when you get an email from someone being like, I love your thing. Or like, I saw your thing. Like, I don't know, as a human, I don't know if it's me, but like, I think as all humans, we love that. We like love being seen, right? It's like, ah, oh, I made an impact in someone's life, no matter how small it is. I think that's why the the podcast has become such a labor of love for me. You know, even though it does, yeah. you know, obviously generate recruiting leads, maybe even some solar leads and consulting gigs, right? Um, it's the thing I'm most excited about when I wake up in the morning, you know, because it, it creates all this feedback and then the social media posts on top of that, you know, I get the messages that, you know, I impacted them or inspired them or whatever the case was. And, and that's honestly, that's what fills your soul. A hundred percent. Correct. Yep. We are, we are purpose. We are purpose driven things, right? I think we all like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is happier when they feel like they understand their purpose, they understand how they make an impact and how they fit it. And I think it's, if you don't, if you have that, it's very satisfying and it's very easy not to get burned out. Going back to the wellness thing, if you don't have okay. it, I think life gets very hard and very, very tumultuous, right? And so, I think if above all else, doing that same sort of intention or like how I set my time, I think about how do I set my life. There's this like Stanford course about like designing your life where they talk about like taking it back and being intentional about like how do you yeah. want your life to go and think of the trade offs and things like this. And uh, I, yeah, I think that's a great exercise for people to do to find their purpose and figure out what their legacy is going to be. Yes. Yeah, as, as soon as you can take it from happening to you and you can become intentional about it, store it in your subconscious, your mind's a powerful thing. It will automatically start making decisions towards that. Exactly. If you tell it to, yeah. you got to tell it to though. That's the big deal. Yep. Okay. So if uh, you know, obviously if they're interested in the fathom service, they can go to fathom.video. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Completely free. Slash Okay. And um, if they're interested in maybe fundraising or anything like that, or getting involved with Fathom, going to reach out to you directly, or how would you like yeah, them to yeah. know about you, that? Yeah. If you have any questions about like startup land or Fathom or anything we've talked about here, I'd be happy to chat. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Richard White on LinkedIn under Fathom. I've got this weird kind of bitmappy looking avatar. 
Uh, everyone thinks it's an yeah, NFT. I saw that. It's not an NFT. <laughs> it's just like an avatar we made before NFT craze blew up. But yeah, just message me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll wade through all the recruiter spam I get to try to respond to you as quickly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll include all those links in the show notes as well. Richard, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I feel like you brought the listeners a lot of value and some context outside of the normal home service space that we're used to. So I appreciate you. Doug, awesome. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. All right, let's get building. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts and subscribe so you're notified when we release new content. Great sales teams aren't recruited. They are built brick by brick. Let's get building. Oh, 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 oh